Section 132 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 132. The Will. I knew that tall young fellow, René de Bourneval. He was an agreeable man, though rather melancholy and seemed prejudiced against everything, was very skeptical, and he could with a word tear down social hypocrisy. He would often say, there are no honorable men, or at least, they are only relatively so when compared with those lower than themselves. He had two brothers whom he never saw, the Messieurs de Courcille. I always supposed they were by another father, on account of the difference in the name. I had frequently heard that the family had a strange history, but did not know the details. As I took a great liking to René, we soon became intimate friends, and one evening, when I had been dining with him alone, I asked him by chance, "'Are you a son of the first or second marriage?' He grew rather pale and then flushed, and did not speak for a few moments. He was visibly embarrassed. Then he smiled in the melancholy, gentle manner, which was peculiar to him, and said, "'My dear friend, if it will not weary you, I can give you some strange particulars about my life. I know that you are a sensible man, so I do not fear that our friendship will suffer by my revelations, and should it suffer, I should not care about having you for my friend any longer.' My mother, Madame de Courcille, was a poor little timid woman, whom her husband had married for the sake of her fortune and her whole life was one of martyrdom. Of a loving, timid, sensitive disposition, she was constantly being ill-treated by the man who ought to have been my father, one of those boors called country gentlemen. A month after their marriage, he was living a licentious life and carrying on liaisons with the wives and daughters of his tenants. This did not prevent him from having three children by his wife, that is, if you count me in. My mother said nothing and lived in that noisy house like a little mouse. Set aside, unnoticed, nervous, she looked at people with her bright, uneasy, restless eyes, the eyes of some terrified creature which can never shake off its fear. And yet she was pretty, very pretty and fair, a pale blonde, as if her hair had lost its color through her constant fear. Among the friends of Monsieur de Courcille, who constantly came to her chateau, there was an ex-cavalry officer, a widower, a man who was feared, who was at the same time tender and violent, capable of the most determined resolves, Monsieur de Bourneval, whose name I bear. He was a tall, thin man with a heavy black mustache. I am very like him. He is a man who read a great deal, and his ideas were not like those of most of his class. His great-grandmother had been a friend of J.J. Rousseau's, and one might have said that he had inherited something of this ancestral connection. He knew the Contrat Social and the Nouvelle Iloise by heart, and all those philosophical books, which prepared in advance the overthrow of our old usages, prejudices, superannuated laws, and imbecile morality. It seems that he loved my mother, and she loved him, but their liaison was carried on so secretly that no one guessed at its existence. The poor, neglected, unhappy woman must have clung to him in despair, and in her intimacy with him must have imbibed all his ways of thinking, theories of free thought, audacious ideas of independent love. But being so timid, she never ventured to speak out, and it was all driven back, condensed, shut up in her heart. My two brothers were very hard towards her, like their father, and never gave her a caress, and, accustomed to seeing her count for nothing in the house, they treated her rather like a servant. I was the only one of her sons who really loved her, and whom she loved. When she died I was seventeen, and I must add, in order that you may understand what follows, that a lawsuit between my father and mother had been decided in my mother's favor, giving her the bulk of the property, and, thanks to the tricks of the law and the intelligent devotion of a lawyer to her interests, the right to make her will in favor of whom she pleased. We were told that there was a will at the lawyer's office, and were invited to be present at the reading of it. I can remember it as if it were yesterday. It was an imposing scene, dramatic, burlesque, and surprising, occasioned by the posthumous revolt of that dead woman, by the cry for liberty, by the demands of that martyred one who had been crushed by our oppression during her lifetime, and who, from her closed tomb, uttered a despairing appeal for independence. 
The man who believed he was my father, a stout, ruddy-faced man who looked like a butcher, and my brothers, two great fellows of twenty and twenty-two, were waiting quietly in their chairs. Monsieur de Bourneval, who had been invited to be present, came in and stood behind me. He was very pale and bit his moustache, which was turning gray. No doubt he was prepared for what was going to happen. The lawyer double-locked the door and began to read the will, after having opened in our presence, the envelope sealed with red wax, of the contents of which he was ignorant. My friend stopped talking abruptly, and rising, took from his table an old paper, unfolded it, kissed it, and then continued. This is the will of my beloved mother. I, the undersigned, Anne Catherine Genevieve Mathilde de Croix-Leur, the legitimate wife of Leopold Joseph Gontron de Conceal, sound in body and mind, here express my last wishes. I first of all ask God, and then my dear son René, to pardon me for the first act I am about to commit. I believe that my child's heart is great enough to understand me and to forgive me. I have suffered my whole life long. I was married out of calculation, then despised, misunderstood, oppressed, and constantly deceived by my husband. I forgive him, but I owe him nothing. My elder sons never loved me, never petted me, scarcely treated me as a mother, but during my whole life I did my duty towards them, and I owe them nothing more after my death. The ties of blood cannot exist without daily and constant affection. An ungrateful son is less than a stranger. He is a culprit, for he has no right to be indifferent towards his mother. I have always trembled before men, before their unjust laws, their inhuman customs, their shameful prejudices. Before God I have no longer any fear. Dead, I fling aside disgraceful hypocrisy. I dare to speak my thoughts, and to avow and to sign the secret of my heart. I therefore leave that part of my fortune, of which the law allows me to dispose, in trust to my dear lover, Pierre Germain Simon de Bourneval, to revert afterwards to our dear son René. This bequest is specified more precisely in a deed drawn up by a notary. And I declare before the supreme judge who hears me that I should have cursed heaven in my own existence if I had not found the deep, devoted, tender, unshaken affection of my lover, if I had not felt in his arms that the Creator made his creatures to love, sustain, and console each other, and to weep together in the hours of sadness. Monsieur de Courcil is the father of my two eldest sons. René alone owes his life to Monsieur de Bourneval. I pray the master of men and of their destinies to place father and son above social prejudices, to make them love each other until they die, and to love me also in my coffin. These are my last thoughts and my last wish. Monsieur de Courcil had risen, and he cried, It is the will of a madwoman. Then Monsieur de Bourneval stepped forward and said in a loud penetrating voice, I, Simon de Bourneval, solemnly declare that this writing contains nothing but the strict truth, and I am ready to prove it by letters which I possess. On hearing that, Monsieur de Courcil went up to him, and I thought that they were going to attack each other. There they stood, both of them tall, one stout and the other thin, both trembling. My mother's husband stammered out, You are a worthless wretch! And the other replied, in a loud, dry voice, We will meet elsewhere, Monsieur. I should have already slapped your ugly face and challenged you long, since if I had not, before anything else, thought of the peace of mind during her lifetime of that poor woman whom you caused to suffer so greatly. Then, turning to me, he said, you are my son. Will you come with me? I have no right to take you away, but I shall assume it, if you are willing to come with me. I shook his hand without replying, and we went out together. I was certainly three parts mad. Two days later, Monsieur de Bourneval killed Monsieur de Courcil in a duel. My brothers, to avoid a terrible scandal, held their tongues. I offered them, and they accepted half the fortune which my mother had left me. I took my real father's name, renouncing that which the law gave me, but which was not really mine. Monsieur de Bourneval died three years later, and I am still inconsolable. He rose from his chair, walked up and down the room, and standing in front of me, said, Well, I say that my mother's will was one of the most beautiful, the most loyal, as well as one of the grandest acts that a woman could perform. Do you not think so? 
I held out both hands to him, saying, I most certainly do, my friend. End of section 132. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.